Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 1130 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. Um, We need to kind of get some perspective on uh, something that is happening overseas, and that is the earthquake that at first they mentioned it it had killed hundreds of people and then thousands and then so many more, and they're still doing rescue and recovery efforts. You know, there have been some wonderful miracle stories out there. But, you know, as always, we need to figure out how to help our fellow man. So um, I've asked someone to join us today. Uh, Good morning. Is it Jobber? Oh, okay. Um, I'm hoping that he'll be on. Um, He's with the uh, Syrian uh, American organization here. Um, and talking about uh, efforts to work with uh, people overseas in terms of uh, getting a handle, you know, how how we can help, you know. I mean, bottled water is always good, but it's not necessarily the the main thing. Good morning. How are you, sir? Good, good. How are you? All right. Can you tell us, give us your name and your title and tell us a little bit about what you know to be true going on overseas with the um, earthquake rescue and recovery efforts? Uh, so my, my name is uh, Jabber Nirobia. I am a board member with the Syrian American Council based in D.C. We have multiple chapters around the, uh, around the states. Um, uh, I, uh, currently what's happening is that um, a, a massive earthquake hit southern Turkey and uh, it, it was felt all the way down to, uh, to Lebanon, uh, Israel, and the Gaza Strip. Uh, most of the damage is centered in south of Turkey and north of Syria. So my understanding, and I, I could be wrong because, you know, you're getting bits and pieces from whatever the networks can get, but my understanding is that um, there's been, I guess, a little bit of difficulty getting some information out of Syria, uh, in part maybe because of the regime. What do you know to be true? So uh, just to briefly kind of uh, set up the, the scene in Syria, north of, uh, north of Syria hosts a lot of refugees, a lot of people that were displaced uh, during the, uh, uh, the massive, uh, um, uh, I want to say civil war, because it was more of a, a war on civilians uh, by the regime and the Russian forces. Uh, so it, it, made, it made life harder for them uh, to 
to it, it, life is already hard for them just to live as is, and an earthquake makes life uh, multiple times harder. Um, a lot of the people that are injured or dead right now are people that have been living in tents and being displaced multiple times and finally found a place to live in uh, in uh, some buildings that were built for them by different organizations, and those buildings basically uh, were, uh, collapsed over their heads. Uh, Syria, Northern Syria has um, does not have large machinery to get people out. Uh, there are still tens of thousands of people still under rubble. Uh, the, the sad part of this whole thing is that if, if they had the machinery, they probably can reach a lot of them. But because they don't have it and they don't have the manpower or the funding or the resources, uh, the efforts are limited and people are still stuck under rubble uh, as we speak. Now, have you spoken to anybody? Do you have any personal contacts over there that have given you any type of insight? Oh, yes, of course. My, my family, I actually have a lot of family members that lived in a, in a city in southern Turkey called Antakya, which is just a, a, a few miles away from the border. Uh, a lot of people that left Syria during the, uh, the massive tragedy that happened in the past 10 years have settled in southern Turkey and Antakya and Gaziantep in the areas that are hit badly by the, uh, by the earthquake. I was lucky. My immediate family members were actually visiting Istanbul two weeks ago. So we are lucky to, uh, we, were, we were happy, I guess, for our sake, our personal sake, that they were visiting. But other family members, other friends have passed, actually, and some are, many of them are displaced. They just made it to Istanbul. They took a car. They were going from city to city. But I, I just heard from my little brother calling me saying that his friend and his entire family are gone in Antakya. Antakya is a, is a town that, that used to host a few, uh, a few hundred thousands. But, uh, people, but now it's over a million because of the refugees and the dense population. And this is just one small city out of all of these hundreds of cities that are that are hit. I'm sorry for your loss over there. Um, I, I know that this is kind of hard to, you know, you want to be there to comfort them in a way, and hard hard to be separated from them. But I'm, I'm glad you were able to be able to correspond a little bit. Um, what? Type, tell me a little bit what you know about the infrastructure over there and how maybe some of the damage and loss of life could have possibly be, been prevented, in your opinion. Uh, so, uh, I mean, it's two different worlds. If we're talking about southern Turkey, it's a, it's, it's a different infrastructure than, than north of Syria. North of Syria's um, cities and small cities, a lot of them were built recently after they were um, getting um, demolished and bombed by the Syrian regime and the Russian forces. So a lot of the buildings were just something to, to, to get people a shelter over their heads. So I'm pretty sure a lot of them are not going to be up to code. I'm pretty sure a lot of them are not going to be strong enough to withstand, the, uh, to withstand a, a, an earthquake of this magnitude. We can see that buildings that are up to code in Turkey uh, are are falling unfortunately like dominoes because it is so massive and it's so strong to a point nothing can really withstand it. Uh, I try to explain to people a little bit kind of the the intense situation that's happening. Um, the earthquake happened a couple of miles away from a city called Gaziantep. Gaziantep is more of a an industrial town and this industrial hub for Turkey. Uh, during the after the Syrian tragedy happened, a lot of people moved into it, so it hosts over half a million people. And that city has the size of a city like Orlando, 
uh, it, it, it's half the size of a city like Orlando, but the same population. So a lot of people live in high-rise buildings, uh, buildings uh, over five, six, seven, up to 15-story uh, buildings, and a lot of these buildings just drop in, this, in a few seconds. Uh, some people were able to make it out of their homes. Some people can't. Some people, I, I talked to somebody specifically. I said that we, while we were going down the stairs, we were seeing the cracks in the walls. And the, uh, I mean, it's that dramatic. It's, it's something out of movies. And they, they don't know what happens to their neighbors. They were happy to make it out alive, but their neighbors are still under rubble. A lot of people right now, if they are considered missing, because I'm not sure, as you know, in, in earthquakes, they always consider the first 72 hours after an earthquake to be extremely crucial because that's the time that uh, usually a, a, a human body can survive. Um, so they're working as fast as they can, and they're unable to get to so many people. The people that are, they're getting to, either they're, they're either dead bodies, unfortunately, they are able to rescue people, but it's just a small number out of all these numbers that are um, reported to be to be dead or injured. Um, just as a few hours ago, uh, some official numbers kind of came out of the amount of people who have passed or are injured, and it's in the 20,000. Uh, that's including Syria and southern Turkey, uh, with tens of thousands of injuries. The sad part is that this number will soar because there are still tens of thousands of people still under rubble. There isn't just there isn't. No matter, no matter how rich the country is, there isn't enough resources and people and trucks and large equipment to get all these people from under these uh, trillions of tons of, of cement. And then I take it there's usually aftershocks with these earthquakes. And so, unfortunately, that, that might cause even more loss of life and, and more damage. Um, in terms of trying to help uh is do you think it's maybe a little early in the process to try to help other than anybody that can go over any official groups that can go over with uh search and rescue and recovery um the we're prob probably dealing with no power uh no electricity in, in a lot of these areas um what can what do you know uh, correct. So actually, there's there are multiple ways. In Turkey right now, there's a massive mobilization of people, just volunteers, trying to get there to 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 help people. It's just, it's similar to kind of when when Hurricane Katrina happened, and you just saw people traveling from all over the country trying to to help with their hands, other than just sending money. Uh, so it's it's difficult for people outside of Turkey or Syria to go help by hand. Right now, uh, their main sources of help is official country. Um, uh, um, country kind of sending their their um, their experts and their machinery. Japan has been sending um, the U.S., uh, England, uh, Norway. I've seen some Polish kind of uh, some Polish workers trying to get people out of the rebel. The other thing is to help the local organizations that are there that have, that have been there for for years. Um, um, the organizations that we trust are American-based organizations. Uh, that have been in Syria and southern Turkey for years. They still run hospitals. They still run um, shelters. Uh, they still help people there. One of them is, is SAMS USA, S-A-M-S-USA.net. That's the Syrian American Medical Council. Uh, it's run by a group of Syrian American volunteers. So they have less overhead, and they do a lot of work. Their work is, is giant comparing to the amount of money they receive. There are other American organizations that do humanitarian work, like Do Without Limits. Uh, they're based in Kansas City. 
and uh, they are on the ground currently and, and waiting for resources, waiting for more donations to, to get to the people and help them in a humanitarian way. One thing that's making this so much more harder is, like you said, the aftershocks. The aftershocks are making it uh, to where whenever they're coming to a demolished building, they're worried about going in because if an aftershock comes, you're killing uh, the, the rescuers are also um, getting, uh, getting stuck under there or, or dying. So that's one thing that's making life hard. The other massive thing is the freezing temperatures. Uh, well, now assigned to family members that were not harmed physically, but their houses were gone. They're just saying, we're sitting in the streets. Um, I don't care how my house looks. Even if it looks fine, I can't go back in there because houses are still collapsing um, after, uh, after 12 hours and 24 hours because they're just not stable because of the magnitude of the earthquake. So it's extremely cold. Right now, there's a massive mobilization of trying to find people shelter, trying to get people warm, so, uh, so you won't have a bigger catastrophe from hypothermia. Wow. Earthquake, earthquake isn't good at any time, but um, I guess timing right now couldn't be worse. Um, so do, do, you, do we need just the average American person, do they need to send money? Do they need to send uh, goods of any sort? You know, I'm thinking about some of what you're talking about. I always kind of think about, you know, why not send, like, solar generators or something like that that could possibly help. But what what is your organization, by the way? Uh, tell me a little bit more about it and what it is doing so the Syrian American Council is, is more of an advocacy and political organization, so we do not collect money personally for legal purposes. Uh, mm -hmm. We are more of raising awareness and um, lobbying Congress uh, and, uh, and the administration for help and, and change policies. But we do work mm -hmm. with all these other humanitarian organizations, and they have the legal capacity and uh, formal organizations to do all, all the humanitarian work. Like I said, SAMS, the Syrian American Medical Council, Mercy Without Limits, mm -hmm. among others. But those are the U.S.-based ones that are uh, very prominent. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm involved with other ones as well, uh, with raising donations uh, and finding ways to, to help people. When it comes to goods and generators and, and things of that sort, that's actually great, but during a catastrophe like this, the logistics are extremely difficult, and it will cost more to send something. So, for example, to buy something from here and to ship it and to get there, there it will cost more. The fastest way would be uh, sending money to these organizations. They're American-based. You, you can get a receipt. You can use it for your taxes uh, it's as an added bonus. Uh, and those organizations have people on the ground currently that are able to do things much quicker with uh, less uh, complex logistics. So you mentioned what you do, what your organization does in terms of about lobbying for certain issues. Um, what have you been able to, to do in terms of those type of efforts with um, our legislators, you know, up, up in, in Washington? Recently, our, our biggest win, I guess, would have been a few months ago when we were able to get the CSER Act passed. The CSER Act was an act to, to place um, 
major sanctions on the Assad regime and all the people that helped the Assad regime and to stop any kind of funding that will help the regime itself, not humanitarian aid. Uh, one sad thing right now about this disaster is that the regime is blaming the sanctions on, on helping the people in northern Syria, which is completely not true. The State Department, the administration came out with multiple statements saying the sanctions never targeted humanitarian aid. So it's out of, out of the sanction scope. What we were able to reach among other organizations is to get that Caesar Act passed. It was a major act for us. It was a major uh, hurdle in Congress. It wasn't passing multiple times until we got it through. And now it's making the regime uh, life harder in, 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 um, in technically winning what they did because it's not a win when you displaced half of your country. I, I tried to kind of show, tell people how big of the tragedy that happened in Syria. Syria is similar size to the state of Florida with similar population mm -hmm. in, 28, uh, in, in 2009. And almost half of that population was either internally or externally displaced to, to Europe, to Turkey, to Jordan, to Lebanon. And internally displaced uh, population is massive. And because they didn't just get displaced every time they go to a certain part, their, their makeshift camps get bombed because they just lived in fear, in complete fear all the time. Um, among the, the, the massive tragedy of deaths and people missing, uh, the UN stopped counting the deaths around half a million. Uh, and, the, and the regime continued bombing uh, many years after that. So we estimate the deaths to be uh, near a million people. And there's still hundreds of thousands of people today missing with loved ones not knowing what happened to them, if they passed and they were put in a mass grave somewhere, or if they are still in, in Syrian dungeons. Um, so we are fighting to, to not let the world kind of forget about what happened in Syria. Syria's tragedy is the biggest loss of life since World War II. That's how big what happened in Syria, and it happened in the past 10 years. And some countries, unfortunately, are moving on and, and bringing back relations with Assad, with a regime that killed all these people. Um, uh, we also advocate against the Russian um, regime in Putin because uh, we, uh, we actually said this way before Ukraine when, when we said that if you let Putin do what they're doing in Syria, they, they will see an, a green light in other countries and other conflicts. And that's what happened to Ukraine. They decided to invade a country uh, just because they didn't like some of their policies because they were able to have a green light in Syria. Nobody kind of stopped them. Um, uh, so those are some of the policies we advocate for. We're, we don't stop. Uh, we continue even, even after the fatigue, even after trying to live our lives here in, in, in the U.S., uh, but we continue to, to fight for the, uh, uh, the unfortunate and powerless people uh, over there. You've got a lot of work cut out for you. So, and I understand. I guess with um, what the the difficulty over there, I guess that's why you're saying um, if you have to do something to help the people over there, then you go to the uh, reliable American organizations in order to get it done. Correct. Correct. Uh, there are Turkish and Syrian-based organizations that we completely trust, and the world trusts too. Like for example, the, there's a, there's a, a Syrian defense. Force. It's more of a volunteer group. Um, they get donations from the U.S. government and the British government, so they are well trusted. Um, it's just for the average American citizen, uh, they find it a lot more comfortable to or to donate to an American registered uh, organization here in the U.S. 
so they don't so they know that their money is going to the right place and they're not sending it to an unknown organization overseas. So American-based organizations are very liable, uh, especially the ones I mentioned. There are a few others as well, uh, New Day Syria, N-U-D-A-Y Syria. It's a small organization, I think, out of New Hampshire. They're also very liable, U.S.-based organizations. Um, they, they, have, they already have this, uh, the people and the infrastructure there to directly, so there's no weight like on logistics and sending it. As soon as the money comes in, they're able to distribute it right away or find uh, or, or do what they're supposed to do by either providing food or shelter or water or blankets or whatever they need to do or help people get transported, even though right now in Turkey, I believe uh, all of the transportation is free because they're just trying to, to help people in whatever way possible. So how do people get in contact with you? Um, my, uh, it's, I mean, with me specifically, uh, I did send you my email. If they would like to contact me, they can contact me through an email. It's always best to, to contact the organization itself, Syrian American Council in D.C. They, we have a press team that can, um, uh, a, a press release team that can work with them, and we have people in the office that if they need help, they can direct them to where they need to go. Um, uh, if it comes to, like I said, the humanitarian organizations, they have their website and they're ready to go. They they have easy ways to donate um, if they like to donate or or if they like to help, and they can kind of direct them and tell them how to do it. Okay, great. I'm going to get with you after the show, and I'm going to get some of those um, names so that I can post them on the Geese Power Hour Facebook page. Uh, but thank you Sounds for good. taking the time. Really appreciate it, and um, we keep you and your family and friends and loved ones um, in prayer. And we, you know, just wish the best for uh, the people of Turkey and Syria uh, as these uh, efforts continue. Hopefully, that that they will find um, more uh, living souls over there, and uh, just hopefully that they won't have to deal with too many of the uh, traumatic aftermath. Uh, you know, aftershocks of, of this. So thank you very much. Of course, of course. Anytime. Thanks for having me. You have a blessed day. Take care. Bye-bye. We're going to take a quick break. Um, we're going to have Marion Trainer back on with us uh, to kind of help us get back on our New Year's resolution track, some of it anyway, and to talk about doing some heart-healthy training, among other things. He has a course he's uh, excited about, so we're going to talk about that too. If you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. This is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and we will be right back. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar, or it's a difficult time and you need to plan a wake or repast. Let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our 
gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. Good morning. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. And uh, I'm going to get that information on from Jobber uh, with regards to how we can help in terms of uh, the recovery and and, uh, rescue efforts in uh, Turkey and Syria. So uh, just uh, check out the G's Power Hour Facebook page later on this afternoon. I should have some information then. Marion Trainer, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. So, um, little slippage. I, I had lost a. I had well, some of it was COVID, but still, I had lost mm-hmm. some weight, and I was doing good, keeping it off. And then um, uh, different things, such as uh, um, uh, playoff games and and snacking and other birthday and snacking and other things. Uh, so um, mm-hmm. it's starting to creep back up, and I've gotten lazy about my workouts. So what do I do? Get refocused. Start asking yourself what's, what's, what's important about you being in shape for yourself. But the number one reason should be the health part of it. The other mm-hmm. part, if you get the cosmetic part of it, that's even better too. But the number one thing is keeping your health intact. And what I call it a, anything like after the age of 40 it's more working out and getting in shape is like your insurance policy. Okay. So here's part of my issue. I'm mm-hmm. trying to balance. I, I, I'm kind of a burning the candle at both ends type of person, but still. Uh, so I'm trying to balance getting enough sleep with getting the exercise scheduled in there. Cause I know for me, especially if I, like I, I, didn't do it this morning like I'm supposed to because I was like, ah, I just feel like I'm not ready to get out of bed yet. Um, mm-hmm. So then I put it off to the afternoon, and then it gets crunched, 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 and sometimes to the point where uh, it's it's just no time to do it. So, it, so one of my questions with that is, do you have to do all of the exercise at the same time for it to be effective to look at like the way i say keep it simple and sometimes keeping it simple could be like first thing in the morning when you wake up uh and i came up with this exercise where most people who say they have a their timing is everything push-ups squats and crunches do three rounds of that 15 reps do that twice a week where it starts to build a habit for four weeks and then after those four weeks you you add another day which makes it three days till you build another habit for another four weeks. Okay. Just keep it very simple. Keep it very simple. You can get All right. Yeah. Yeah. You 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 can't get overwhelmed because it's like oh I didn't do this oh I didn't do that and uh, it's so much easier it seems to kind of push that off to the side you know and and then it's just out of the routine altogether and that's you know like I said. It's just February, but, you know, we've already kind of slipped up a little bit. So that's why I wanted to say, okay, how do we get back on track? How do we refocus? Um, um, Are there, like you mentioned about doing push-ups and squats, which 
I have to say I don't necessarily incorporate into my routine. So that's going to be a, a chore for me anyway. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't, my, my routine is totally something else. So maybe I'm doing the wrong things in the first place. How do we know? That's a good question, though. How do we know if we're doing the right things for us? Well, everything is about trial and error. If you if you do an exercise and it doesn't feel right to you, then we have to figure out another way to make that exercise better and that you can do it that makes it right for you, or we just have to find something totally different. Because it's all an experiment, and we try everybody try to find what works best for them. I always say it's about timing with everyone. So with the squats, I mean, you can hold on to the, the counter and, and do like 15 squats, or you can hold on – I mean, you can do so many things that get your body in the mode of having to learn those exercises and make it as incorporated as part of your day. And not have to be the person who feel like, oh, I got to go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, which is overkill. Mm-hmm. It's not going to come really on any quicker. The... Okay. What should really be the focus, or is that individualized as well? Body fat, what? Well, the biggest thing you want to work on is the difference between fat weight and fat loss and weight loss. They're totally different. So you want to concentrate on body fat. But the thing I would tell everyone is don't get so caught up with the numbers and focusing on I'm not seeing anything. Enough. The thing is about, first of all, you want to feel better. It usually takes about two weeks once you start a program because you release those endorphins, the good feeling. After that, you know that you're going to get that good feeling from it. So it enhances your mind, your mood and mindset. So it's easy, it starts to become easier to remember to do it because you know what it makes you feel like. See, now that's part of it too. Like part of me is saying, I feel fine. Why do I need to go? You know, I feel great. Why, what, why do I need to, in some cases, punish myself, <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's sometimes it's difficult to you know to say um, you know I I really need to do this I really need to go sweat I really need to go and and uh, exert myself because you know to to make myself feel better because that doesn't necessarily feel good. Talk about that a little. Of course it does. Well, you're working for the body you want, not the one you have. And in essence, what I'm saying is, like, you could say, okay, why should I do this or why shouldn't I do this? What will happen if you don't? And those are those so, are the things that you're going to – go ahead. So basically – no, I was just going to say, so basically um, it's a more – it's less about how I feel right now versus what I'm trying to prevent in the future, you know, like a, a emergency hospital visit or something like that. As well as I would have if I had not done anything. And that's what I mean by it's your insurance policy. So when mm-hmm. when something does yeah, happen, I, you're, I get you're your point scared. because my my doctor said that you know when when I was diagnosed with COVID, um, by the time I was I, I think I actually got a chance to get into her. I think I was you know I had gone through the worst, but she said you know mm-hmm. and the, she gave me like the option of whether or not I wanted to take a medication or what because she said the side effects could have possibly been worse. And she said if I had not necessarily been on my regular routine in terms of um, 
taking my vitamins and supplements and going to the gym, I could have had it for longer. It could have impacted me a lot worse. And so I guess there is something to be said at that point because you don't necessarily, if you're doing it every day and you you, you do manage, fortunately, to get it into your routine, sometimes you don't necessarily know what the impact is until something happens. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So it's heart month. So talk a little bit about doing the right things for the heart and for our other organs. Well, that's one of the we we get so focused on the external. Let's talk about that. Well, I mean, that's one of the importance of working out, you know, heart health. The heart is a muscle. When you're working out and you you getting your uh, heart rate up, that's a great sign. And you're trying to basically keep physical activity going because your heart has Heart has to be taken care of in order to work work for you. So with the heart, um, are there any specific exercises that we should be doing? And um, you also talk about getting the heart rate up. Now, my understanding, and I could be wrong, is like you should have it elevated, try to get it up to, is it 120 uh, for 20 minutes or something? Or is there a formula? Well, this is basically what it, what it works out. When you first work out, your first uh, the first 20 to 30 seconds, you're using ATP storage, which is the energy source that's regularly from your body. The next energy source the body taps into is glucose. Through that, when you hit 30-minute point, your body starts working on weight, fat, body fat which is why they say, you know, try to get in at least 30 minutes of working out, 30 to 45 minutes. But the goal is if you can get the heart rate up, some will say 140, that puts you in the fat-burning zone. 120 gets you going. And everybody's heart rate is different. Some people can get at 106 and be pretty much sort of like a, a deep breathing. So if you're feeling deep breath where you can't really hold a conversation, your heart rate is definitely in, in the right – it's up at the right level. I was going to say 120 is usually my goal, and so you're saying 140. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, go ahead. Those are those are statistical numbers. They'll say 140, you're in the fat zone, you're in the fat-burning zone. But, you know, 120 may have some people in the fat-burning zone. So it all depends on how you're feeling at that time. You don't want to be out – you don't want to be so out of breath where it's, it's so hard for you to recover to do the next set. That is not what you're looking for. Okay, so um, that so basically, how do you determine that? Is is that something? I guess you have to consult with your doctor. Do you also think that do you have to have a specialist? Do you have to have a cardiologist um, to monitor you regularly when it comes to your heart if if you're not having heart issues? If you're not having heart issues, at least, at least at some point after the age of 40, if you don't have any uh, family history of heart issues, if you do have family issues, you need to get checked at least once a year. If you don't, you should at least get checked once, once a year and then let the doctor decide, oh, you'll come back in six months or you come back in a year or two from now to get reevaluated. 
Okay, so you said after 40, which is surprising because I did it just last year. Um, so I'm and I'm over 60, and so that was my first time seeing a cardiologist. But you're saying don't wait that long, right? No. I I had a, a friend of mine who about five weeks ago had a heart attack. Oh wow! He's not um, getting enough blood. To- not getting enough blood. Okay. Was now let me ask this: <clears throat> What kind of shape was this person in? Was this person going to the gym? Was this person yep. eating right? No, probably wasn't. Okay. Gym, off. yes. <laughs> Diet, no. So, and that's part of the reason, too, why I, I keep hearing it being said recently that sometimes the diet is more crucial than the exercise. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because I had, yeah. actually, I did have a cardiologist on um, last week, and they were mentioning about going to the gym burning X amount of calories and then drinking the Gatorade afterwards and you kind of just broke even, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. Wow. If, yeah. if everybody want to know the additional the benefits of exercise, it is to improve muscle ability to pull oxygen out of the blood. And it reduces the need for the heart to pump more blood to the muscles, reduces stress hormones, and can put an extra burden, that put an extra burden on the heart. Works like a beta blocker slow the heart rate, and lower blood pressure. And that's the point of exercise and how it works, benefiting for the heart. Okay. <clears throat> so wh- now we're going to we need to talk about, I want to ask you about the all of the hype that, about the Mediterranean diet in terms of, <laughs> of health benefits. Um and I'm sure people, even though you focus more on, on physical fitness, I know you're you're very much into, you know, healthy eating as well, and I wanted to ask you what your take is on that. I think the Mediterranean is a great diet, especially for heart health. Okay. All right. Because it's focusing but on then, vegetables, fruit. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, you actually need to know, though, uh, I, you know what it is, and not necessarily be mistaken by what you assume to be true. Let's say through uh, television and stuff like that, uh, and shows and stuff that you know where you see the Mediterranean, and you think you know that's basically what that lifestyle is about. But it's more like you said about incorporating more uh, vegetables and fruit, right? Yeah, and basically, you know, nuts and all that just. Basically, it's more if you if you kind of look at it, it's more of a, like a high protein diet. Mhm. Okay. And it's great. It has been proven that it's been good for the heart. Okay. And people with right. diabetes. Okay. All right. We're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we I want to talk to you about your course. Uh, we're here with Marion Trainer. This is G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment, and we will be right back. Does it appear the long arm of the law is working against you instead of for you? 
Whom do you call when the boys in blue are pursuing you? When the wrong person behind bars may end up being you? With over 40 years combined legal expertise, Anderson and Welch bring to bear a smart, sound, sensible defense of those caught in what may be the unrelenting grip of the legal system. Turn to Anderson and Welch first to get ahead of trouble, not fall into it, by calling 561-832-3386. That's 561-832-3386. That's Anderson and Welch Law Firm online at andersonandwelch.com. Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. Forgive me a little bit. I've got a, something in my throat that just won't leave. That I'll, of course, it will probably go after the show. But anyway, we are here with Marion Trainer. And if you have questions for Marion, by the way, the number is 516-387-1944. So talk a little bit about your course, Marion. What's going on with that? How's it going? It is going pretty well. I have a course that I'm very passionate about, and it is called, called on onboard101.com forward slash Marion Trainer. And basically, the course is it's a key to long term perm. It's about the key to long term weight management and overall health. And it starts with being educated. And what you'll learn in my 12 chapter course, it will guide you for the rest of your life. And in the 12 chapters, you'll have the knowledge and tools to take control. And basically, it's giving you control about weight management versus fat loss, uh, diet, uh, working out, and basically giving you – and I always say you have to educate to participate. So how did you you come up with the course? How did you put it together? I teamed up with a friend of mine uh, out of California, and we put it together, and it's, it's been going great. I mean, and I, I highly believe in it. It's a 12-module course, and it's only like 297. But the, but what you will get educated, what you will get out of it, will definitely last you for a long time. Just giving people the basics of what you should do, getting rid of all the myths and stuff that you see on television, the commercials, the highly commercialized stuff. So, and anybody can use it from health clubs, trainers, health coach, hospital lifestyle programs registered dietitians, sports nutritionists, medical professionals, sports and athletic coaches and trainers protocol. Okay. I wanted to ask you, you mentioned um, your battle with kidney disease and needing a, a transplant, and how did that impact you going forward with, with your lifestyle and your development of this course? Uh, when all this happened, you know, I've been – I've been in, in the exercise world. Start. I mean, I've been exercising since I was 16 years old, and I'm 51 right now. And this enhanced me even more after having a kidney transplant that people really need to be educated. And I know this stuff, and I've been in the sport, and something happened to me. But imagine the things that happen to some people, and they don't know anything. So it's not about what happens to you when it happens. It's what happens to you after it happens. Mm. What do you do? And you definitely need to educate yourself because it's not just, oh, you you have the surgery, you get the transplant, oh, and life goes back to normal. No, you have to be on point with your your your, your nutrition. You have to be on point with the way you exercise. And a lot of people are just a little ignorant to it. And the course is designed to give you those little basic things that you didn't, 
that you should know but you didn't know. Okay. Okay. Well, like, give me an example of one of those things. Oh, as far as like being understanding, like how does my energy level work? Which I said earlier, you have ATP, how your body starts off burning, which is the first twenty to thirty seconds. After that, you're burning glucose. Glucose is really a major factor, especially people who are with diabetes. Because if you're not burning glucose, that means you have a lot of glucose in your blood. Mm-hmm. And that is the reason we will have high glucose levels. And if you're running anywhere between three to 400, like it's something regular, which is not, uh, you're, you take the chance on your organs getting beat up. And eventually it's going to come, like they say, you know, uh, it's going to come to like what they say, a screeching halt. Your body's going to say, I'm, I can't, I can't do anymore. Mm, wow. And things so, start happening where <clears throat> your heart, so you said you started at 16 year 51. How has your routine when it comes to your health habits, how has that changed in those years? Oh, my God. Um, <clears throat> you know, it was different reasons. At 16, I did it for the girls. Uh, at 24, I was in a head-on collision car accident in 1996. Um, and that really wow. opened my eyes to when I would give speeches, I would say, uh, working out, I thought was primary, but after this accident, it is secondary. Your health and your lifestyle and how you get, how you just get around in normal life is primary. Mm-hmm. So, your perspective. <clears throat> yeah. So basically it, it became more, uh, well, I guess less superficial in terms of why you were doing the exercises. It wasn't about appearance so much as it was about survival, I guess. Survival and how it makes you feel. Sometimes you have to mm-hmm. start. I would say the hardest part of anything in life is learning yourself. Once you get to the point where you can learn yourself, now the self-analysis become a lot more important to you. You're like, okay, I, how do I feel today? Which is something most people don't really ask themselves. Now, you t- now let me ask you also something else. When I was I was asking you about the the Mediterranean diet, something else came to mind to me too. Um, a lot of people have talked about um, incorporating naps into their routine, and I've heard pros and cons about that. What are your thoughts? What's your take? If you're gonna take a nap. Take a 20-minute nap because that that powers you up, gives you a little more energized. You sleep longer than that, you're probably going to be tired when you wake up, or you won't get any sleep that night. Right. I mean, that's been my thing where, you know, I, I've gotten, for various reasons, just really tired in the afternoon or during the day, and it's like, well, why don't you take a nap? I'm like, no, because I don't want to mess up my sleep, so I battle, I battle through, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the drowsiness in the afternoon, hoping that it, you know, it'll, I'll get better sleep at night. But sometimes that does not necessarily work. Things I'm telling you, my opinion and my experience. I'm not giving anybody medical advice, but sometimes you may mm-hmm. need to go and see if you have low magnesium levels. And usually that happens with a lot of people. And magnesium helps the body to relax, which in return can give you a good night's nice rest. So if you're yeah, deficient now, I, in magnesium. 
Uh, yeah, now I do take magnesium supplements. Um, it's supposed to, from my understanding, be good for the nerves. You have to kind of watch taking too much of it for other reasons. But I, I usually take magnesium like three times a week because uh, it was having other impacts taking it more. So, yeah, but it uh, it is helpful. I can, I can tell the difference when I'm a little bit when I'm not taking magnesium. So that's very, very important. If I was recommending one, I would I would tell people look it up, read it for yourself, because there are some mm-hmm. magnesium that take too much of could give you diarrhea. Mm-hmm. But if you take magnesium glycinate, that one will not do that, and it will do everything that the rest of them does, and it will not give you diarrhea. Magnesium glycinate. Mm-hmm. So is that is it magnesium with some sort of additive that, or is it some sort of derivative That's of magnesium? A, well, it's a derivative because there are different types of magnesium. Okay. I just found that one to be the best. I've tried the rest of them, and I know I, from my experience, I've tried that one, and that one was the best. Okay. All right. So <clears throat> do, do you now, are, are there foods that you can get magnesium from that you recommend? Spinach. Yeah, you can eat spinach, whether it's just okay. fresh as a salad or you want to, mm-hmm. you know, saute it up. Okay. Yeah, and I I do love spinach, and you get um, more iron from spinach too, as well as the the magnesium too. And isn't it a source of calcium too? I believe. Uh, some of them are. And when they'll tell you that is because it promotes bone health. So that's where the calcium part comes in at, uh-huh. and it helps with blood sugar. Oh, okay. All right. So. I was I and I love spinach. I was into the spinach really hard. I think I backed off of it because of the iodine, but so because I have uh, hyperthyroidism. So okay, but but you know I, it, it's one of those things where I think you have to do everything in moderation. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> so. This month, heart, you know, with, with it being heart month and everything, um, and I know African Americans, it seems that they have more in, risky factors in terms of, of dealing with uh, heart issues and stuff like that. So um, the, other than just the, the diet and exercise, do you, what, do you, what do you recommend? And I know you're not a doctor. But you have a, no. a variety yeah. of, you know, of experience we, with the body that most a lot of us don't. Well, what I would tell people this right here because there there's so many different factors that about heart health, it, like economics. Mm-hmm. You, if you don't have the money to buy healthy foods, it could be an issue. But there are mm-hmm. programs out there that will help give you a they'll help aid in you getting healthy eating healthier. And that I was going to say part right is, about this time too there there's got to be like um different like heart clinics or different you know health fairs and stuff going on in efforts absolutely. to promote heart health right now. So um if you can't normally get in to to 
see a doctor or, or cardiologist or whatever, at least get maybe some sort of uh, cursory uh, checkup that you can maybe take back to your doctor and, and say, hey, you know, this is what the result was of this particular screening. Um, is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? What is it, you know, what is it on point with and what is it lacking, right? thing of it is, like, I mean, it's a, it's a really kind of teetering the line of, how do you help someone because you don't know their financial background? You don't know uh, what they're – are they willing to exercise? Or are, they, are they considered obese? Or are they considered uh, truly inactive lifestyle? How do you get them up to par with that without them being a willing participant? Mm, okay. That's true. Uh, is, is, because you, you, the, you can't – some of this, if it's a loved one that you're trying to get uh, their lifestyle back on track, there's very little you yourself can do. Um, it, it, and it just depends on the individual. You have some people that you can, you know, suggest stuff to, and they'll, you know, follow up and, and make their own determination. Some you'll make suggestions, and they'll do the exact opposite. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, yeah. you know, some people just have to learn on their own. And then some – can some will actually try to lead, uh, try to learn by example. So um, the the key thing too with that is you have to be setting a good example on your own before you can you know try to help someone else. So because a lot of times they'll say, hmm, that looks interesting, or hmm, that actually that actually seems to work. Let me try that. So you have to be willing, and and sometimes it's sad, you know, it's kind of sad that. Most people get to the point where they something happens to them, and now the really the the real work and the hard work really begins because it's not going to be easy because you took so long. But people are more willing once something happens versus trying to do something to be preventive. So, how do we? What? How? How should we? I guess manage the timeline for let's say 2023 should we look at what we what we get accomplished by the end of the year or in terms of our health goals or is it something that you do day by day week by week month by month how how what's the best way to to just kind of make sure that you're on track with your health progress and managing it properly make it a lifestyle change and ask yourself, is how important is it to you? Because anything can happen to any of us at any time, and it could leave you basically kind of debilitated. And then mm. the real question would be, what am I prepared to do now to try to at least get back to where I was? So I think the question becomes not about, you know, because I think sometimes people think so far ahead. They're always thinking about the destination versus trying to enjoy the journey. Take one day at a time. That's why when I first tell people who will basically say they're not they're not big on exercise, well, okay, let's do this twice a, twice a week. And I'm sure you can fit in the exercise I'm telling you about. It's less than ten to fifteen minutes to do. If you're willing to do that, it's going to make a big change in your life. But if you're not willing to do it, then you're going to have to take your chances and see how you turn out, see how things turn out. 
Okay, so let's uh, tell people how they can um, get in contact with you again and also um, how they can uh, get involved in in your course. You can get in contact with me through my website, MarionTrainer.com. I am also on Facebook as Marion Trainer, and I do a live every Saturday. It's like $4.99, and basically I tell people I'm here to inspire and motivate and also educate you on basically just the basic things in life about taking care of yourself, self-care. And I'm also on Instagram as Marion Trainer as well. Marion, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time today and, um, you know, stay strong and healthy. You've really got a lot uh, to give in terms of example, in terms of, you know, what can happen to a person and then, how you know, how you manage it and go forward. So really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, you're quite well. And one more way people can do, they can get me at Marion Trainer number Marion Trainer forty at gmail dot com. Marion Trainer forty at gmail dot com. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And Join us also tomorrow. We're going to uh, talk with someone with regards to sports and sociology with the football, with the Super Bowl coming up this weekend. Um, some insight in terms of some of the things that's been happening on the field. Uh, so we want to, we want to talk about that tomorrow. Um, and then to Friday, we want to talk to you about how you if you have some land that you want to donate or sell or any type of property that you want to donate or sell, how you can put that to good use. So we're going to talk about that on Friday, too. But anyway, thank you for joining us. Talk soon. This has been G's Power Hour. I never had it so good entertainment. Be well, be safe, be blessed, and please remember, all real power comes from God. Take care. He'll make it all right.